can I, can I preach, guys? Is it all right if I preach? I'm, I'm going to ask you guys just to be my audience this morning. And I'm going to ask you to help me preach today. Is that okay? Y'all find a seat. Is that all right? I, I, I want everybody in this place today. We have a few more people here than maybe we normally do. But, but I need some help at home. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bibles out. And I want you to turn with me to the narrative of Scripture that we're going to dine on today. It's Psalms 138. Come on. Psalms 138. I need you to get, I need you to practice because I know maybe you've been out of practice, but next week it's going to be loud when we call out the, the word of the Lord, the verse in Scripture, the, the, that particular book of the Bible that we're going to be looking at, whatever that reference is next week. I want you to just go ahead and get prepared for for shouting out so here it is again psalms 138 it's it's the word that god is going to feed us today in fact we're going to call this the dinner plate today because god is going to feed us some filet mignon y'all like that i like that so so let me let me say this at home grab something to scratch some notes out but know that today it's going to be a little different feel. Because this week as I was contemplating what next week would look like. Because Eddie, we're starting something new next week. It's not that it's new that we're going to gather in a church building. It's just that over the last several months we've been doing church online. And we're going to continue to do church online. However, starting next week, we're going to do something that we've never had to do before. We're going to occupy this building at a 50% capacity, keeping social distancing and all of the stuff that we need to do and all of the things that we have to do to keep people safe. And so I'm like, okay, wh where should we go? God, where is it that, that we should go with your word today to begin to prepare our hearts for what you want to do even next week? And then my mind went back to a message that I preached two weeks ago. When we paid a revisit, if you will, to an old series that I said every so often we will revisit. Lyrics and lines. Somebody say lyrics and lines. And in this particular message, I used, well, really, Miley Cyrus gave me the title. It's the climb. Somebody say it's the climb. And we were talking about the goodness of God and how good he is even when things in life don't seem to be so good and how he is he is with us and he is above us and that we at times in our life we have to be like Zacchaeus and we have to climb up in that tree so that we can see over the difficulty of the crowd so that we can climb into his peace and keep climbing into his love and climb into his hope and climb into his mercy and climb into his grace we just keep climbing in to his love as I was thinking about that message, I realized that that was, that was part one. That was like Rocky one. And then there's a sequel. It's like Rocky one got you ready for Rocky two. It's like Rocky one, you know, here's Rocky Balboa. Nobody knows him. He fights Apollo Creed. Now everyone knows him, but what he does in Rocky one prepares him for what happens when he beats Apollo Creed in Rocky two. So, so today's the sequel to what we were doing two weeks ago with It's the Climb. We were looking at Psalms 46 then, 
But today we're looking at Psalms 138. And Psalms 138 is a continuation of the climb, if you will. It's how God, it it really exposes for us how God is at work in our lives when life is not where it should be, how it should be, why it should be, the way we thought it would or should be at this moment. It just looks so different than maybe what we thought, but yet we think God's not at work. But yet this Psalm kind of shows us that he's always at work. So looking at this psalm kind of exposed for me a few things that I I really want to share with you because sometimes we find ourselves in that place. I mean, that place of difficulty, that place of, of relational difficulty, that place of occupational difficulty, that place of emotional difficulty, that place that we have to climb out of physically. You know what I'm talking about? But sometimes before you can climb out physically, you've got to climb out spiritually. Y'all are not hearing me. Sometimes before you can see the physical victory, there has to be a spiritual victory. Before you can see your faith produce some great stuff, there has to first be some great faith in you. Y'all don't want to hear this. You see, before you can move into what God has planned for you, you, sometimes you got to let go of an old way of thinking, an old mindset that has you in that place in the first place. And so it's the climb, but today it's the sequel. It's keep climbing. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, keep climbing. At home, look at your neighbor, keep climbing. Open up the window and shout out to your neighbor that's outside cutting grass and say, keep climbing. Because you know they're going to think you're crazy. And they probably already do anyway. Keep climbing. So this week, again, let me go back. I was thinking, okay, God, what is it that you want me to talk to your people about? And I felt him impressing my spirit to remind them of my goodness. Because even though you are discouraged, that doesn't mean that God is not your encourager. Even though you might feel like you might be without a job, that does not change the truth that he is Jehovah Jireh. He is still my provider. He is still my breakthrough. He is still my healer. He is still my salvation. He is still my peace. He is still my helper. He is still my hope. But sometimes you got to climb up to a different altitude so that you can see all of these things about God. you got to climb above it. Climb out of it long enough to change your perspective. And I really feel like that's where we are in Psalms 138. I'm just going to read the entire narrative. It's only eight verses. Don't panic. It's only eight. After I read the eight verses, I'm going to preach just two points. Two points. Is that all right? Let, Let me read for you. Let me read for you. Somebody got my glasses down there? Anybody got my? They, they should be right. Might, maybe I didn't bring them. Anybody see any flat reading glasses? Don't worry about it if you don't. It's okay. I can read without. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. I left them in my office. Here we go. Bear with me. I'm going to read it this way. It says, I will praise you, Lord, with all of my heart. Not with some, but all. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. We just got through singing his praise. 
I will bow down towards your holy temple and I will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. (laughs) When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all of the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, though I walk, here's David. He's telling you the condition of his life. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, though I walk in the midst of the pandemic, though I walk in the midst of sickness, though I walk in the midst of unemployment, though I walk in the midst of fear, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes, and with your right hand you save me. Verse 8, the Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. Grab that. Hold on a second. He says, your love endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. It is verse 8 that is... that is the most important part of this narrative. It is verse 8 that the writer, David himself, has previously articulated seven verses in order to get to verse 8 so that you realize who God is and what he is capable of. It is verse 8 that is the the crescendo of this song. It is verse 8 that is the course to this song that we should sing over and over and over and over. Because what David is telling us is that you may have setbacks in your life like verse 7, even though I walk in trouble. You may have setbacks in your life, but your praise is a setup for what God will do. Hmm. And he says in verse 8, again, look at it. Brandy, thank you so much for playing. Look at it again in verse 8. He says, he says, the Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. In other words, what he is saying, what David is saying is that, God, you will continue to do all that you have done. And everything that you've done to get me to this point in my life, you will still do to get me to the next point in my life. But let me pause for a minute because there is a perspective in David's life. There is a mindset in David's life that I think contradicts the mindset that we have many times. Here is David in the midst of trouble in verse 7, but yet focusing on the goodness of God, even though things are not necessarily so good in his life. You know, it's, it's kind of like for us... Many times we are really good about highlighting what is wrong and we forget to celebrate what is right. Grab that. We are really good about highlighting what is wrong while at the same time really good about forgetting to celebrate what is right. Think about it in life. 
Think about it as far as the Bible is concerned. Here are the people of Israel. They are set free from slavery after 400 years being enslaved by the Egyptians. God frees them. They get into the desert and they begin to complain about the conditions of their freedom. It is easy sometimes for us to highlight what is wrong while forgetting to celebrate what is right. It's like going to a movie. You go to a movie with someone, it's a great movie. You love the movie. You come out of the movie and you say, how did you like that movie? I thought it was incredible. And the person that you're with says, I was so cold, I couldn't enjoy one minute of it. As Laura's putting on a jacket in the worship center. Or it's like going to a, a fine dining establishment and the food is great and the ambiance is better but yet your meal and your experience seems to be ruined because you're focused on the fact that the wait staff forgot to keep your glass of water full. We're really good at accentuating what is wrong while not celebrating what is right. We're really good. The governor has a stay-home order, and we begin to complain about the stay-home order rather than celebrate the fact that we can spend time with our kids that we otherwise would not be able to spend time with. We're really good about accentuating what is wrong <laughs> while forgetting to celebrate what is right. I, I wrote this down. It's in your notes. You need to be taking notes. We're, sometimes we're really good about glamorizing pain Mm, hold on. Sometimes we're really good about glamorizing pain, but under-celebrating victory. I mean, think about that in your life. And we talk about the, the pain, the, 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 the difficulty, the, the problem. It seems to be magnified more than any victory. I thought about Corey Ten Boom, who was an author who wrote the book, The Hiding Place. Who, she was honored for her work rescuing uh, the Jewish people during World War II from the Nazis. And many times, Corey Ten Boom would start off her testimony or her speaking, if you will, her, her preaching, if you want to call it that, with her testimony. What I do not have is what she had. And so I'm going to do something a little different because I have found that cross-stitching is not as prevalent as it might have been 60 or 70 years ago. But what she would do is start off with a picture, an embroidered picture, a beautiful picture. Everybody say beautiful. It was a beautiful picture that she would begin to talk about the craftsmanship of this embroidered picture, how beautiful it was, how wonderful it was, beautiful. You know, when you're on national television, you want to make sure you spell it right. B E A U T I F U L. It was beautiful. Are you with me? Can you see it? Everybody's looking to see if I spelled it right. It's, it was beautiful. And she began to talk about 
the craftsmanship of this embroidered picture and how it compared this tapestry and the beauty of it and how it compared to, to, to how God worked. The beauty of his creation, the beauty of cre the creation of humanity and how the beautiful tapestry of life and how he weaves it all together to create this beautiful picture called life, called your life. In fact, the Bible says that he's the author and perfecter of our faith. The Bible says that he knows the end from the beginning. The Bible says that he knew you before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, before the foundation of the earth was laid. He knew you. So there's this beautiful tapestry of life, your life, that God is weaving together. Then, Corey Tim Boom and if you've ever seen, what did y'all call that again? Cross stitch. She would take that beautiful picture and she would turn it over to the underside. And the underside made no sense. The underside was ugly. The underside was confusing. The underside was messy. And so many times in life, that is what we do as humans when we are viewing our lives. Rather than the beautiful creation that God has created in you, we see the messiness of the underside. Because of the calamity or because of the trouble. And you know what? In life, we hang our pictures up at home like this. We don't hang them up like this. Because they're so ugly, we don't want to see that. And so in life, we may hang them up like this at home. But the truth is, in our minds, we hang them up like this. In fact, this week, I was talking to our staff their staff meeting, and you know, we as a church are experiencing things that no one in our lifetime has ever experienced. So how do you do church? How does the church continue to be the church and meet the needs? And how does the church continue to do what you do at a 50% capacity and, and, and practice social distancing? And what, are we, what can we expect from the people? Some people live with fear. Some people don't. Some people are on this side. Some people are on that side. Some people are ready for it to open. Some people are ready for it to continue to stay closed. And so how do you meet all of that, all of those demands? And so we were like, what, have, what has other churches done? And, what is their experience? And so we started to look at other places. We've done this for the last couple of weeks. Other churches around the nation that have already opened because their uh, states reopened a little earlier than our state. And one of the staff members, I think Ian, found something from a pastor out of the Midwest who posted something that I thought I wanted to share with you. Great church, great pastor. But he says this, leading during the crisis, hold on a second, my phone just jumped around. Leading during the crisis is really difficult. Current challenging, excuse me, challenges that I am facing. Number one, I was patient throughout the 10 weeks of online only. Now, after two weeks of in-person services, I am suddenly impatient. I am frustrated with people who aren't coming back to church but are going and doing everything else. I am impatient with the slowness in returning even though it's only been two weeks 
And I even predicted this. I'm normally more patient. This is a surprise to me. Number two, I like unity. I generally won't move forward on a decision without unity, but I'm realizing that in this season, not only will I not get unanimity, unity is unlikely. No matter what I do or even if I do nothing, people are going to second guess and disagree. I'm trying to process through this. There you go. Those are my two biggest leadership challenges today. I have no answers, just challenges. Be encouraged. I'm reading this while at the same time we're trying to figure out how do we meet all of the demands? How do we lead during the crisis? I'm reading this from this incredible pastor from out in the Midwest, and I'm thinking, you know what? This is so much like us. It's so easy for us to lose sight of the victories that are happening because things are not necessarily going at the speed we want them to go, the direction that we want them to go. And sometimes I realize that's the way our faith is. Think about Peter. Peter had some messiness in his faith. He did. He had some messiness in his faith journey. I mean, Peter failed at walking on water. (laughs) Peter failed at forgiveness. If you remember that conversation that he had with Jesus. Peter fell asleep during prayer time. Peter denied knowing Jesus at the crucifixion. And all of the messiness in Peter's life caused him to go back to an old way of life. And he became a fisherman again. And then after the resurrection, Jesus sought him out. And he went out on that shore. And he said to Peter, he said, Peter, don't you remember all that I've done for you? Don't you remember all that I've done in you? Don't you remember all that I've done through you? And that same Peter would go ahead later and he would write something so beautiful like the God. God of all grace, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you. So cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Good Lord, have mercy. So where do we go from here? So here we see that there were some things that David was able to do some things that I think sometimes we are not able to do because of the way that we're looking at life. Make it more relevant. Let's talk about where we are today. I mean, you know, several weeks ago we have COVID-19, maybe months ago now, that comes on the radar. There's a little fear. There's a little frustration. There's a little uncertainty. Then the, the governor, you know, gives us this stay home order. And, and everything was okay in week one with the stay home. Everything was all right in week two with the stay home. In week three, everything became a little frustrating with the stay home. In week six, you're eight pounds heavier, you need a haircut, you're tired of wearing pajamas, and you've you've done all your DIY projects. You know what I'm talking about. Your, Your stimulus check didn't work, it didn't meet the need in your life, you might not have a job, everything seems to be crazy. Everything seems to be like a mess. You know, one of the hardest things in your faith journey is trusting in God's beautiful tapestry when all you can see is the confusion. 
Hoo-hoo, Lord, that's so good. So David, David, how did he get here? David, when Psalms 138 opens up, what David does with Psalms 138 and the next seven Psalms, so eight Psalms, he writes this cluster of Psalms where he begins to worship God. Even though life's not so good, he begins to focus on the goodness of God. Even when life is not necessarily so good. Here's what David does. David focuses on the appointment of life rather than the disappointment of circumstance. There were two things. I told you two points. I was going to preach two points. I'm still preaching two points. Some of you are like, oh, Lord, this is going to be a long one. No, it's not. It's going to be two quick points, maybe. But there were two things that David did in this narrative. Two things that he did that I think we must do. Here's the first thing that you can see from this narrative, and that is this. David never stopped worshiping God. Chapter 135 of the book of Psalms, chapter 136 of the book of Psalms is about this corporate worship. Chapter 138 becomes about the personal worship. So David really poses this question. What is your life going to be like when it comes to praise? Are you going to be a sometimes praiser? Are you going to be an everyday praiser? Are you going to be a someday praiser or an everyday praiser? And that's why he says what he says in verse 1. Let me read it to you again. He just goes right to it and he settles the question. He says, I will praise you, Lord, with all of my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. He says, I will praise you with all of my heart. He answers that question. I'll praise you with all of my, not just when it looks good, not when everything's going according to plan, not when my 401k is up, but also when it's down. I will praise you, God. That's going to be who I am. But then he says something. Look, it says, I will praise you, Lord, with all of my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. Hold on. You got to grab this. This is where it gets good. Notice that the word gods is in the lowercase form. The G is the lowercase g. Theologians vary when it comes to exactly what gods David was making reference to, but not the context in which he used it. He says, I will praise you, Lord, with all of my heart before the gods, little g, I will sing your praise. The little g in gods is all of the things that come against your thoughts. All of the things that come against your life, like like frustration, like fear, like economic failure, like unemployment, like, like, like just everything, relational fear and, and, and occupational fear and, and sickness and all, all of that stuff that, that makes the, the backside of the tapestry even that much more ugly. 
He's saying, I will praise you before all of them. They may be coming at me. They may be trying to take my mind. They may be reminding me of what used to be. But I'm going to praise you in front of all of them. Do you know what intestinal fortitude that takes? I'm going to praise you in front of all of those things. And then he says something in verse 2. Look at verse 2. Put verse 2 up. It says, and I will bow down towards your holy temple. And I will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. Hold on a second. He says, and I will face your temple. In other words, he's, he's intentionally saying, I'm going to turn towards you. And I'm going to face you. And I'm going to begin to focus upon your love and your faithfulness. Get this. When you begin to focus upon the love and the faithfulness of God, do you know what it does? It gives you a confidence to walk in your circumstance in a different way. I need you to grab this because there's only one place that God doesn't want to visit, but rather he wants to dwell. And that is your praise. Because the Bible says that he wants to inhabit the praises the praises of his people. He wants to inhabit them. He doesn't just want to visit them. That's why David said, oh, hold on a second. For me, I will praise the Lord. And I will turn towards you. I will be intentional. It's, it doesn't mean that life is going to always be e easy. It doesn't mean that just because you're praising, all of your problems are going to go away. But what it does mean is that you've turned your face towards God because you know he's the answer. And then he says something in verse 3. He says this in verse 3. He says, when I called, you answered me. And you greatly emboldened me. In other words, he's saying that I had a ton of fear. But my fear paled in comparison to the confidence that you gave me. My fear pales in comparison to the strength that you have. And so David is saying, I choose to worship you, not because of what you can do, but because of who you are. Ooh, Lord have mercy. Are you, are you grabbing this? Because he, he goes even further. He says, he says, listen, he says, when I called you, you answered me. So when you call to someone and they answer you, what does that mean? Pick up the phone and you call someone. Hey, how you doing? And they answer you. What does that mean? That means they are talking to you. You are having a conversation with that person. This is where it gets beautiful. What David is saying here is that, is that what he's going through will not determine where he ends up. But rather, who he listens to will determine where he ends up. That's why I'm telling you today, you got to climb up out of that place. you got to climb up and hold on. David's saying, I'm going to climb up and I'm going to worship you because you are the author and perfecter of my faith. You are my breakthrough. You are my help. So I'm going to choose to worship you when life looks like this because I know you have a plan for this. So he said, I'm never going to stop worshiping you. 
Number two, the second thing that he did, somebody say, never stop worshiping. David, first off, understand, worship for David was not emotional stimulus. It was a spiritual discipline. Some of us come to church on Sunday morning, and hey, that's okay. And you, but you look for worship to be that thing that just gives you some emotional stimuli. But that's not, and worship can do that, but that's not what worship is. Worship is a spiritual discipline that takes place in your life regardless of what's going on. That's why David said, I choose, I will worship you in front of all of the other little G's. I'm going to worship you. So never stop worshiping. But the second thing that he does is he never stops trusting. Verse 7, look at it again. Verse 7 says, so when I'm in that place of trouble, when I'm in that place of trouble, you stretch out your hand and you save me. When I'm in that place of trouble, you stretch out your hand and you save me. You see, you've got to understand that you have a Savior who has an ability to save you. You've got to begin to reflect in your life upon that mighty hand and that outstretched arm that God has that can rescue you. So you've got to begin to remind yourself, hold on a second, if he can rescue me, all I got to do is my part. And you've got to keep climbing. You've got to keep climbing. You've got to climb up out of that burden and into his blessing. Climb up out of that, that problem and into its promise. You've got to climb up out of that fear and into faith in him. You see, and that's what David is telling us in this narrative he's saying that you in a grand style he's saying you've got to worship because it enables you to climb up and when you climb up out of that trouble that's when you walk into verse 8 and verse 8 says that God will continue the works of his hand that to me sounds like Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it so I'm going to keep climbing into his love I'm going to keep climbing Climbing into his hope. Keep climbing into his breakthrough. I'm not going to stop at verse 7. I'm going to keep going. Because verse 7 may look like this. But verse 8 looks like this. And I'm going to walk into the glory and into the goodness of God. Come on somebody. Help me preach up in this place. don't have to live in verse 7 because the answer is in verse 8. You got to keep climbing. Keep climbing. Keep climbing. What I know is that I preached with everything I had. I've given it to you the way God gave it to me. But I do not have the ability to articulate 
beauty of who God is. I'm asking you now to cry out to him. Can I tell you about his attributes? Yes. Can I tell you about how good he is? Yes. Can I tell you how he saved my life, how he can save your life? Can I tell you how he's healed people? Can I give you all of those testimonies? Yes, all of those things are wonderful. But that's just things that God does. You've got to experience who he is. You've got to rise up in that place of worship. You've got to climb up out of that hole. Climb up out of that difficulty. Because he's so much better than even I was able to express to you today. You've got to keep climbing. Somebody needs to hear this. You need to keep climbing. You feel like giving up because there seems to be no gain. Keep climbing. You feel like you've done that a thousand times. Do it a thousand and one. God wants to smile on you and pour out his favor in your life. Let me pray over you. Father, today, I've done everything in my ability to express Psalms 38, but I know through the power of the Holy Spirit that is so much greater than I, you can now take my words that are, are and have just finite ability and you can cause them to grow in an infinite way in the lives and the hearts of your people. God, for those who need a touch from you, may you bless them. For those who want to give their hearts to you, God, may you forgive them as they ask you to be their Lord and Savior. For those who have fear, remind them, God, to climb up and keep climbing. For those who have frustration, keep climbing. For, for those who have uncertainty and doubt, keep climbing. God, do things in their lives that only you can. And we give you the praise and the honor for it. I cannot wait to see you next week. I can't wait to hang out with you. I can't wait until we're worshiping together in a corporate setting. Register this week. Invite some friends and register them as well. We'll see what we can do to make room. But listen, we need you to be here because we're going to glorify God in a big way. So keep climbing. God bless you. I love you. Go in peace and love. Woo! Yeah!